0: We we gotta remember that play is the most natural way to learn. Like we did it when we were kids. Animals do it all the time. We actually do it as adults. Like when when we learn, we are like playfully like clicking through things. Many of us do not follow like traditional tutorials on our computer. We just play around with the app.
1: Welcome back everybody to another edition of the Start Ed Up Podcast. A member of the Education Podcast Network, Today, I have on Michael Matera. He is the author of the book Explore Like a Pirate, but he's also the guy that's really making gamification cool and really practical and done the right way. He has got a wealth of knowledge both on his YouTube channel and his podcast, but he's also going to be talking about his new professional development this summer that's going to be online. I'm not going to steal his thunder, he'll get into that. Uh, but more than anything, Michael is just one of those guys that he is a teacher's teacher. He is A guy that's always providing value to educators. So if you're a parent, listen to this one. This is how to motivate kids. And also if you're a parent yourself, I'm sorry, if you're a teacher yourself, uh, you'll want to seriously share this one. I think this is one that a lot of educators need to hear from because um, Michael's just, he's the man, especially when it comes to gamification and motivation. So dig in, take some notes and enjoy Michael Matera. Okay, so I'm excited today to bring on Michael Matera. Michael is a prolific educator who doesn't just talk about it, he does it. And what I love about most is he's got video evidence, which I'm a huge fan <laughs> of. And he has a stylistically wonderful YouTube channel. Michael, thanks for being on, man.
0: Thanks for having me on, Don. It's a pleasure to be here. Excited.
1: <laughs> so let me jump right into it. Um, well, actually, let's start with the book, because, I mean, really, that's when all of a sudden you started to get a little bit more attention, and people are like, wait, 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 this guy may know what he's talking about. <laughs> Talk to me about the book. Uh, so the book's Explore Like a Pirate. It
0: is uh, definitely poured my heart and soul into this. It is a book that's really trying to get people to realize that gamification, that's and what What the book's trying to tell you is that it's so much more than just slapping badges on things and giving points to things now I have badges and points and whatnot, but it is about building experiences where we put the user, the student, at the center of all design choices and this is This is truly game mechanics applied and when we design our lessons and our units and our classes with this in mind, like game mechanics applied to school really can just amp up what your students achieve and like kind of the joy they find in the entire journey
1: yeah i can't agree with you enough for the people that are like what is he talking about you know the, the whole slapping badges on things which again it's a start it's a start mm-hmm. but like you understand the game theory you understand the structure of it um and i think that you know i well, one i've got a uh, a nine-year-old son who if you gamify anything he's exponentially more interested in it and, and obviously that's like one of your things, it's, it's it's great to have an engaging classroom, but if all of a sudden you start to understand what motivates people, and I, I guess really that's kind of what a lot of your book is about, like yep. the game theory thing is on what motivates people. Want to weigh in on that?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we sometimes put at the center of our designs, like our our outcomes, right? We say like, this is what we want our students to, to be able to do. And it's, it's, it's understandable that as educators, we put that first, but like, I really try to stress in some of my workshops and whatnot, that really you guys are content experts as teachers. You are, you're, there's no way you're going to design a lesson and not aim towards content goals. But what we need to give more time and attention to is how we deliver those things, the art of teaching. And when you dig deeper and deeper into game, game psychology, game theory, game mechanics, what it is all about is driving motivations behind things and doing that in an authentic way, doing that in a meaningful way to, to engage the, the user or the student to do you know, their level best. And when you start to apply these things, it is so exciting because your class lights up. And one of the things that I think is just so mind-blowingly awesome about gamification is it is not replacing what you do It it is layered over what you do. It's it's more intentionality with what you do. And it is only going to accentuate and make greater the the units, the lessons, the things that you already do really well. Like you have that great unit that you slaved away and you love it. Gamification added to it is just going to bring a level of intentionality to what the students do and to what you do. And it's just going to light a fire in your class.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Now, let me go on the <laughs> on the unintended consequences side. Um how do you temper some of the overly competitiveness like, you know, obviously the end goal is them understanding and having a deep, you know, body of knowledge, but when you know, how do you handle the I got it and I won and I smoked you <laughs> <laughs> kind of a kind of effect with I'm going to be stereotypical, but let's just say with like fifth grade boys
0: <laughs> yeah so i teach sixth grade and then there's definitely sixth grade boys in my class but uh i think it's a two-part question or two-part answer one uh i'm gonna i'm gonna lead with the fact that you know stamping out competition all competition in schools neutering that sort of compet- that competitiveness in schools i think is to the detriment of our students like that is just that is an unnatural scenario and you're teaching the gamer generation. They they understand games, they understand that not everyone can be winners, right? So when we come into this like completely like clinical room of our classrooms, there's cognitive dissonance. Like they don't actually necessarily feel welcomed in that space. Now yeah. we we can like conjole this, we can talk about how like some student feels great. I'm really talking about, you know large swaths of the population like we can all tell a sad story about one particular student that might that might not feel comfortable in a competitive environment but I'm still speaking to the masses that that is not like a world they know this like completely neutered
1: competitive free boy let me just have you stop there and say yes (laughs) because I so (laughs) I know that you know this but like you know with some of the Esports things that we have going on in our school. Huge. It's it, it's well the the term toxic. You know, even the kids are like, oh geez, that guy's toxic, as in he's the one or she's the one that overreacts. And you're right, like the the, the as a 46 year old man, you know, I'm I'm hearkening back to the kickball days, and it hurt the one kid's feelings and all this other stuff. Well, we didn't have the the um, like you were talking about the video game culture. Because they handle losing a lot better than I did because they're, they're pressing reset. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I lost.
0: Yeah. So in my class, I have a a leaderboard and my, and my game points for everybody listening aren't attached to my grade points. So like, know that what I'm displaying here in terms of game points doesn't tell kids who has an A and who has a B, but some, some people
1: genius, by the way,
0: some people are like, Whoa, you like, how do they handle like, Oh, what about that kid that's ranked, you know, 70th? And I was like, do you know that kid goes home and and plays, you know, some app on his on his phone and he's ranked like four millionth? Like it it doesn't really hurt his feelings that he's 70th. And he knows, he or she knows oh, why they're 70th. So they're 70th because they haven't engaged in the game as much as others. Yeah. <sighs> and we when, when design a game that's like fluid like that and it it invites students in, but it does not require it. Students can not do my game really almost at all and still get an A in the class.
1: Oh, Michael, that is that is awesome.
0: The kids that wrap themselves in the game end up wrapping themselves in the course, and as such, like just truly have a unique sense of and love of learning and purpose for the learning. Like a sixth grader, you can't tell them about college; like they don't care that like do good in school for college. But now the game, the storyline that's around them gives them an immediacy for their for their learning that's just ah, it's just so awesome
1: Mm. (laughs) you said so many things that i'm like you can't hear my head nodding um (laughs) but no i I love it And, and and when you said like the neutering of competition and i boy are we on the same bus on that one because yeah i i we're so and rightfully so in some cases, but we're so cognizant of everybody's feelings that sometimes we're, <laughs> we're, we're, artificially making everything too artificial kind of thing. And, and, um, you know, like you said, these kids are used to being rated 70th and that's okay. Um, and I'm sure you're identifying the kids that are like, okay, well I give up. And, and, and that's, and that, by the way, that's no different than the, than us reaching out to the kid that has the D or F. So I it. dig it. I love it. I mean, I just absolutely love it. Um, so thank you for addressing that. I I, I had a feeling you were going to give an answer like that, but <laughs> it was more thorough than I expected. So um, now moving on, all of a sudden you're starting to see a, hopefully a little bit of a shift. You, you, obviously some of your stuff's doing really well and people are starting to concern and like want to get interested in, in the game vacation. And you kind of alluded to it at the top of the show, but like, what is the biggest mistake or flaw you see people when they start trying gamification and you're like no don't do that because you know they're going to quit too early
0: ah that's a good question and like my head's filled with like several (laughs) suggestions here but limiting it to the show here i would definitely say like one thing is Teachers have it in them that they want to roll out perfection like we we have this sense in us that we have to give a perfect product, and we see this in all sorts of areas of education that we don't necessarily want to step out of our comfort zone and try other styles. So when it comes to gamification they're they're like they want to sit in isolation and design this perfect game and you know good like Is good enough sometimes. Like you just have to put it out there and and learn from putting the game out there. There's going to be so many iterations, whether it's a two day game, whether it's a mini game that you do to review, like you're going to get it wrong. I guarantee you, you're going to get it wrong. But your kids are going to love the process. They're going to love that you are taking them on an adventure. They're going to give you so much latitude to fail. And where you are going to fail them is that many of you aren't ever going to try it. Cause you're going to design it in isolation in summer and you're going to say like, Oh, it's not quite there yet. I'll do it next semester and you'll design a little more. And you're like, I'm not sure if I understand these points or when I'm going to give badges or I don't know if I designed enough levels, like just knock it off. Get some product out there. I mean, my first game was simply like five teams. I wrote their names on the board. I put some like points when they like did different like little activities into their little names i let them build a flag and that's all i had i didn't have anything else but like putting the game out there hearing students get excited about these like team challenges then i started to build more concepts around teams seeing and responding to what the students wanted so you can't design it in isolation
1: that's awesome do do you ever have them um, design some things they challenge you on like you're the participant
0: Yeah, we do some mini review games where they love it if like they get to be the host and it's kind of like, are you smarter than the sixth grader against me? And they get...
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're wanting to stump the stud, so to speak. Yeah,
0: pretty much. Got Um, you. Got you good. (laughs) I love too, like when you put your game in play, talk to your students about it, you know? And I'm always open with my students that I've been doing this now for years but I have never, ever played my game. I've designed my game. I'm the game master, but I've never played it. So like you guys have a unique view and I need to understand your view. And they give me so many great suggestions of little quests they like or things they really love that I put in and I should do more or little frustration points. And those frustration points, instead of saying, oh, my game's too hard or I shouldn't have done that, those frustration be- points become little items and things that they can like unlock to, to take away that frustration. So now instead of just fixing the problem, and taking away the frustration, I give them an opportunity to unlock and earn and achieve something that then can overcome that frustration.
1: So now looking towards, well, um, I guess toward looking towards a future gamification is now being found. Well, I, I first of all, I guess a show, you you know who Jane McGonagall is, correct? You got it. So things like gamification to save the world go.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, for those of you that aren't as like red on the topic, Jane McGonagall really talks about gamification and how it can change the world in industry. They're called serious games and they're, they're built to to truly solve world, world problems, large problems. And it is just, proven time and time again that uh, a game can a game can just crowdsource ideas and find solutions faster than sort of traditional methods and and in her book she'll talk about um, you know there was a AIDS protein chain that they had to figure out how to like fold and it, it took I think it was like 10 years in universities like independently couldn't figure out how to do this to for this drug to be successful and then they like did another i think five years where they shared all their research they were like we just got to figure this thing out so all the universities shared they still couldn't figure it out and then they this one company put it into like a video game called fold it online and anybody could do it and i think it was like something like 12 days or something the people on unfolded figured out how to appropriately fold this protein chain so that the drugs could be administrated correctly and, and be as effective as possible. So like 15 years of scientific research, couldn't figure it out something like 10 or 12 days. Don't quote me on that, but uh, of of gamers crowdsourcing gamers continuing to try this. I mean, games unlock a creative piece of our minds and, and in that creative world, we allow like endless possibilities and and i think that's where new solutions t- tend to sort of shake out to the surface where when we go with traditional methods when we sit down in committee and try to solve things yeah we, we approach it from a traditional standpoint yeah that traditional standpoint limits our thinking
1: well and and also in a, in a less fun way oh yeah <laughs> i mean fun and enthusiasm are I, like there's a reason why they started putting slides at google and and <laughs> you know just when you see something as a fun challenge the, the seriousness is going. even if it's something as serious as, as you know protein folding or whatever world hunger when you make it fun and you have a hard time even saying like we shouldn't take this fun but if it's fun then solutions start coming in odd areas
0: well so, and fun and like we got we got to remember that play is the most natural way to learn like we did it when we were kids animals do it all the time we actually do it as adults like when when we learn where we are like playfully like clicking through things many of us do not follow like traditional tutorials on our computer we just play around with the app
1: agreed 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 okay so you're you're kind of preaching this and you're like one day you decided you know what i'm going to start showing people instead of telling people so uh walk us through your youtube channel and and all it provides
0: So the YouTube channel uh, story kind of starts, I bought a new house and it didn't have cable and it didn't have internet and it wasn't gonna get hooked up for like three months. So all I had was my phone and I could like stream things to my TV. And I thought YouTube, I really like, maybe I'm too old here, but I thought YouTube was like old YouTube where it was just a bunch of cat videos and like silly little clips from Saturday Night Live. And so I never really gave it that much attention. And then when I had three months of like no media, really, except YouTube, uh, I started to look on there and I found the first one I found was a cooking channel. And it was like pretty legit, like, like the camera angle stuff was great. Their message was great. Their recipes were great. And I was like, this, this is like great. And what I really found over those three months were several channels I really enjoyed and learned from. And I went from being a consumer to really being a creator. And like every creator needs some consumption. Uh, but what I loved about YouTube consumption was how relational it was. I really felt like I connected with these. There were these two brothers that teach you how to cook. And like I really felt like I knew them. I felt like they were my buddies. Like they were my neighbors. Um, and it really lit a fire to like you You can't help but watch these these YouTube creators, whatever it is, whether it's cooking channel or my gamification channel, I, I argue you, you watch five, six of these episodes, mine or otherwise, and you can't help but get off the couch and say like, I'm, let's do this. Let's, let's try this. He says this is easy. He says he can do this. He says go buy these three ingredients and you're going to have a great meal. Let's do it.
1: Uh, that's the only thing I'm going to argue with on. I, I have known far too many people uh, that, they are inspired until the video is over. And then it's a, you know, I'm going to get around to doing that. I I think that's what really separates you from a lot of people. And I'm not saying that to slam on people, but like, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) what's the old saying, you know, uh, faith without action isn't really, you know, working. So I, I, I think that too many times people do consume on YouTube and they don't go and do so. Well I think I, it depends it
0: depends what you're consuming so I will admit yeah. the consumption and you can still find all sorts of channels on YouTube that aren't inspiring you to create and grow but the vein that I chose to like fill my head with I continued to surf on YouTube find channels I liked that were creation based and like so from yeah how to shoot good videos like I didn't I literally did not know how to do much with cameras before starting a YouTube channel and I found I mean, this guy's huge. So, like, when I say found, it's like saying I found the Grand Canyon. But um, I found Casey Neistad. He does a blog. And he's got, like, 9 million followers. And then another gentleman named Peter McKinnon. Peter McKinnon's videos, and what his whole channel is about is to teach you how to shoot better videos, are so epically awesome. But I learned a ton, like, just watching him. And the other thing I would suggest people do if they ever think about starting a YouTube channel is just watch other YouTube channels and don't watch it necessarily for content. Watch it for style. Listen to them. Look at the lighting. Like, listen to how personal they are. Look how they look in the camera straight, you know. Try to, like, learn just by watching. Emulate, I guess
1: yeah i agree with that and and actually i had to pull up peter mckinnon right when you're talking and i can see why and i'm really big following too and yeah it, like I, I i dig it although i will say when casey became really really popular a lot of people's content started looking a lot like casey's and had a lot of the back you know tracks you know the the the, the music of casey and all this sort of stuff. which again ultimate form of flattery mm-hmm. um so i have no problem with that but i i i Fear that too many people are inspired as long as the video is playing, and then once the video is done, you know not as much. But well, for, um, I, I will say for,
0: for those of you that like are thinking about starting a YouTube channel, I definitely suggest it because it has been one of the most like relevant and reflective practices I've ever done. uh It is it's a bit it's putting a bit of yourself out there, and and your point about copying style. Um, I think that's okay because you'll realize like,
1: yeah, I do too.
0: You'll get, you'll get through that though. And you will eventually make your own style. In fact, I think if you go watch my first like five vlogs, I think my title was pretty much, it wasn't like exactly Casey Neistat, but it was similar. It was just like white text that popped up. And you know, in the moment, like I was so freaked out about putting out my content that like the thought of also designing like my own style intro was like just too much for me. So my choices were either like not start a YouTube or just embrace the fact that like I really liked Casey's style for his title screen. And I borrowed that sort of style for five, six episodes. And then once I got traction on making videos in general, I went and built my own like style that I like. And over time, I don't think my styles, any one person's in particular, but you'll see elements of Peter McKinnon. You'll see elements of Casey Neistat. You'll see elements of other YouTubers that I enjoy. but culminating in me creates a unique product
1: yeah definitely and and yeah you've kind of got your own distinct thing now and i love that and, and for that matter i like i'm such a big pusher of this as well in my own class um i have all my students the reflection tool is either a blog a podcast or a youtube channel and i said i'm like if you don't if you don't want to press public then don't you know because it's i kind of use it as a, as a tool of reflection in my class and i said but i'm promising you i'm promising you in 20 years, you're really going to enjoy this. I, I would I would give you $50,000 if I could pull up old footage of Donnie Wetrick and some of his <laughs> crazy ideas when he's 18.
0: I think was, a lot of us would give it that kind of money to see. Absolutely. It's crazy crazy Don Wettrick.
1: Yeah, was, I just, so I like, well, and so, some of the things I'm like, oh my gosh, I said that. But I mean, <laughs> you know, I, like um, just archiving your life, is bold, but, and again, you don't have to press public. You can unlisted or private, but I'm like, I just practically speaking, I think you'll enjoy it. Cause I mean, how many times have you caught yourself saying, you know, now that I say this out loud, I it's that therapeutic, just putting it out there and talking out loud, I think is just wonderful on the reflection side. And yeah, I I
0: love the reflection of, of just doing this
1: weekly, YouTube uh, but also I have to
0: say it gives you it's amazing how much it grows your skills as well Um, since doing a podcast and a YouTube channel I can tell myself as a speaker has improved I, I use less verbal pauses I usually know my message that I'm trying to say but these were skills that I like developed and I didn't set out to develop them they were they were sort of happy accidents if you will
1: yeah, muscle memory. Yeah, I agree. You're doing it again and again and again. All right, so now the really exciting part. Um, I was really, really... Well, first of all, let me back up again. Love the YouTube channel. Uh, also well played. You would mentioned about your your podcast. You're starting to provide some really cool content out there for people that want it. And then you decide to make this a... Uh, well, There's there's been a lot of buzz. It's my bad <laughs> segue about what you're uh, doing this summer to um, provide a lot of PD. Explain what the buzz is about.
0: All right, so I am super excited to be offering a free educational online summit, and it starts August first and runs through the fourteenth. It's virtual, because this is like PD and your PJs if you want. Um, each day, one new presenter gets released, and their videos up on YouTube and. I'll send that information. If you've got a ticket into the hive, uh, you'll get that information delivered. There's going to be sketch notes attached to each video. There's going to be notes provided. There's going to be some great Twitter buzz. This is going to be a great way to sort of launch your 2018, 2019 school year. We got great presenters. We have Dave Burgess, uh, Matt Miller, uh, Rick Wormley, Sarah Thomas, Tara Martin, Joe Sanflippo, Kerry uh, Michael Cohen, the tech rabbi, and myself. And this is our first year, but we would, I mean, like, my realistic goal, we want a lot of you. My unrealistic goal, I want it to be the, like, largest online conference ever.
1: There you go. So where do they find out about it? Where do they sign up? All that good stuff.
0: All right. So every single one of you needs to go invite five of your teacher friends to go to HiveSummit.org and sign up for this free PD. It's going to be epic. It's going to be awesome. And really, like, with all of you there and all of you participating, I just know that 2018-2019 is going to rock as a school year. So HiveSummit.org.
1: HiveSummit.org. There you go. So what what is – I'm not going to ask this because it sounds like you're playing favorites. What are what are some of the more – what are among the, the things you're looking forward to on, on Hive Summit? Uh, honestly, my, I mean,
0: I love all, if you're listening, I love all of you presenters, but the thing I'm most looking forward to is the connections being made by the people that participate. I, I can't wait for the, the Twitter world to start tweeting at hashtag hive summit and start talking about what they're learning, making connections, sharing out resources with each other. Uh, and that was actually sort of one of the reasons I titled it the hive summit I like this idea, this, this, how bees work together collectively. And then through that work makes them just, sorry for the bad pun, but, but something sweet. And I think if we all work together and if this isn't just a taking culture, if it's a giving back culture, we really make all of education stronger, all of tomorrow stronger. So, you know, I think it's great that you're going to take the, these wonderful ideas from these speakers, but yeah. I hope everyone sort of gives back in terms of tweeting out and sharing out resources and just make this super awesome.
1: Don't worry about the bad puns. I started <laughs> off with buzz. I, although for the record, I don't understand why people have a hard time with puns. They're the best kind of jokes ever. I, I, I love it. Let's, you know, hashtag embrace the pun. <sighs> I, I resent the whole dad joke thing because Hey, <laughs> Dads are hilarious, especially, you know, now that I'm one. But even, I'm not going to lie, even when I was a kid, like, thought puns were the best thing in the world. That and Weird Al Yankovic. So.
0: We might be a little biased,
1: though, on the dad joke. <laughs> we might be, but I seriously, before I was a dad, I thought that great puns were great puns. I don't know. I, I even follow pun generators and things on Twitter. That's my awesome. Fav- my favorite being... Um, <laughs> Here lately, they had one. It said, my wife said, would you quit singing so many Oasis songs? And he goes, maybe. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. <laughs> so good. I anyway. Anyway. Uh, no, I, I agree, though, Michael. I, I think, when, and and this time, very intentional on on the, on the, the, the buzz that, that does create around shared events is wonderful. And I think, you know, having an event where you kind of well that you don't necessarily have to drive to Uh, and and i think that a lot of times when these mega conferences go on in education many people respond back with the sessions were good but the hallway conversations were amazing that's it it's those side conversations like i met this lady from sheboygan and look what she's doing or I met this guy that was doing this and, and those little, so I totally agree with you on that. I know that you're looking forward to presenters. I know that. But the, the, the buzz and the camaraderie and the um, companionship and the sharing of knowledge is, is just, it's everything. So, I
0: think totally. you and I are very fortunate people that we get to attend as many conferences as we do. And so I think when people go to one conference a year, um, they're still in very traditional conference mode. Like, what are the sessions I need to sign up for? I'm going to go to the session. I'm going to learn from the presenter. And then I'm going to go home. And I think you and I and people that are fortunate enough to go to a lot of, a lot of these conferences realize the presenter is nearly the catalyst for conversation. And it is the, 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 the power lies really in the audience and what's going to happen in their minds, but also, you know, in the hallways you know, going out to lunch, going out to dinner. It it almost is everything but the conference yep. is the most important piece. Yep. So, yes, I would love digital hallway conversations to be happening in the hive.
1: Love it. Well, Michael, uh, sincerely, man, A, I've always enjoyed uh, your work. This is I, – I said this to Matt Miller because Matt and you guys share the same thing. Um, you're an even better guy. Uh, like, I just – I don't know. I I, I love – your passion for teaching and not necessarily showmanship i i like the fact that you are uh, very kid-centric and yeah i mean you're just always you're providing value even when you know even when it's not easy and and um sincerely appreciate it so
0: well thank you very best
1: much. best of luck on the on the hive uh best of luck on the youtube channel and, and the podcast a matter of fact last few things tell everybody again Hive that well, both on the hive and then where they can find you on Twitter and the YouTube and everything else.
0: All right. So here's, here's the context stuff. Start will be hivesummit.org. sign up August 1st. It begins, but we're going to be sending out some information beforehand. So get in there as soon as possible and share it with your friends. Hive summit.org. Then my YouTube is youtube.com slash Mr. Matera M R M A T E R A. And my Twitter would be the same. It would be twitter.com slash
1: M-R-M-A-T-E-R-A. There it is. All right. Michael Matera, thank you so much for being on the show. No problem. Take care. There you go. Michael Matera. Hope you indeed take him up on his offer. Sign up for that PD. I think it's going to be wonderful. Also, do me a favor. You know what's like money to us? is your recommendations for future guests. I'm telling you, it's awesome. It's a breath of fresh air. We find people like Michael and also people in the entrepreneurial and author industry because of your recommendations. So if you have some, let us know. Also, what I also super, super love is when you guys leave iTunes or SoundCloud recommendations and star ratings. That's awesome. We sincerely appreciate it. I cannot thank you enough. But in the meantime, this is Don Wetrick. Always reminding you. Always reminding you. Those are opportunities are everywhere. We'll see ya.